0: 19. Um, He did an excellent job. If you uh, weren't here last week, I encourage you to go to our website and and check it out, or to Facebook, and you can watch it there as well. Um, You'll be blessed. But um, normally, when we read through the psalms, I think, or read through in preparation for studying through this the psalm, we kind of do so with maybe a studious mind and asking God to speak to us and to find the application within the psalm. And, 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 and that's right. We want to prepare ourselves in that same way again today. But the thing that I want to encourage you with, the thing that I want you to do is, is this morning as I read it, is maybe a little different than what we've done in the past. Um, as I read this psalm to you this morning... Um, I wanna proclaim it as a blessing to you on your guys' lives. And I, I want you to receive it as a blessing. And, and what we see in the psalm is we see, we'll talk about it more, but we see people praying for the King of Israel and interceding on his behalf. And, and it is a, a, a psalm of blessing. And, and I point that out to you this morning because the context for the psalm has to do with the battle that's getting ready to take place in preparation for that battle. And, and I know that we are all engaged in some kind of spiritual battle um, that, that affects our lives in a very, very real way. Maybe it is... The battle with your own sin and your own struggle to overcome certain sins. Maybe it's, it's a battle with things that are going on in this world as we see this world being shaken and turned upside down. And, and we're fighting and standing for, for what is right and, and, and for what is the truth. And, and there's conflict that arises as a, as a result of that. Um, and, and, but maybe it's even within family. And maybe it's your, your spouse or your marriage or your kids. In, in, in all these things, um, there's a struggle. But there's hope. There's hope in Christ, and there's hope in this prayer, and there's hope in the fact that the God who we serve, who loves us, is a sovereign God, and, and we're walking in accordance to the plans and purposes that he has for our lives, and I want you to take hope in that again this morning, encouragement in that this morning. So as I read this, meditate on this and think about um, this being a blessing upon your life. Psalm 20, uh, verse 1, starting with the uh, inscription, it says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in a day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Selah. Pause. Meditate. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Verse 6, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Verse 9, save Lord. May the King answer us when we call. And Lord, we call out to you this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together as your children, Lord, one because of your Son Jesus Christ, who's redeemed us, unified under him, Lord, brought before you as those who are justified, those who you see as holy. Lord, thank you for saving us from our own sin, from the weight and debt that comes with that. And Lord, as we study this psalm this morning and continue to worship you, Lord, as we submit ourselves to a conviction and instruction of the Holy Spirit, Lord, as we read and study your word, I pray, God, that we would be encouraged that your truth would find its way into our hearts and into our minds and it would be lived out on a day-to-day basis, God, as we go from this place and back into this world, Lord, into the battles that, 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 that you set before us to, to, to fight, to walk in to be strengthened and refined by in you. And Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who does not yet know you as Lord and Savior, that has not yet put their trust in you like this psalm describes. I pray, God, that they would not hold back this morning, that the prompting of their hearts that you have um, been speaking to them through this last week, these last months, Lord, that that would come to a head now today. And that they would make a decision for you. That they would know, God, that you're trustworthy. That you care for them. That the things that they've been fighting, uh, uh, Lord, that, that they, can, they don't have to fight. They don't have to struggle anymore. That they can just lay that down before you. And you'll take that up, Lord, that they can take on your banner. Lord, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so I read the inscription or the title of this psalm, and I've done that a few times in the past, but, but I did that because the title of this psalm tells us that it was written to the chief musician, right? And I've not addressed this issue yet if we've been going through it, because that, that title of the chief musician, some believe it to be one of two things, and maybe, maybe both. Some people believe that, that the chief musician is referring to God himself, that this is an offering to God, that David wrote this and gave this to God. And, and it's, it's very likely that that could be it. I agree uh, that, it, that, that God is the chief musician, the great orchestrator of, of all things in life. But, but some also believe that it's exclusive to the position that was held by one of the Levitical priests there in the temple where he would set forth the order of service in regards to the worship and the congregational worship that took place first in the tabernacle and then in the temple in, in the later years that followed after David's life. And, and I think that it's both. I think that it's to God and to the chief musician as we see many of these psalms in um, Jewish culture are, were a part and are part of their regular services still today. And um, we're also told in the psalm that it was written by David and, and both of these things, to the chief musician and written by David, it's like many of the other inscriptions that uh, have introduced the previous psalms that we've already had read. But... This psalm is different. It's different than any of the others that we've read up to this point because it's in the voice of a multitude who prays on behalf of the king of Israel who is getting ready to go into battle. We're told what battle this is, and we know that David and the the nation of Israel entered into many battles during David's lifetime. But it's evident as we read through this that this is what's going on because of the personal pronouns that we read. In other words, in verses 5 and 9, we read the personal pronoun of we. We come before the Lord, we make these requests. And when we consider also the personal pronoun of I in verse 6, it's likely that the verses, those verses 6 through 8, is the actual response of David in res- to the people who were praying for him or on his behalf. And since this is a psalm of David, clearly David's the one that's penned it, put it down, um, it appears that in writing this psalm that, that David was looking back, right? He was looking back on a time. He was remembering a time when the people had prayed on his behalf, and he shaped their prayer into this song in order to remember and recall the encouragement and spiritual strength that he found in that moment so that others may too be encouraged by it in the congregational worship that went on at the tabernacle, and then, of course, even for our lives today. And so in this psalm, the people prayed for their king. And they began, if you look in verse 1, and they also ended, look at verse 9, with this plea to God, for God to hear them and to answer them in their day of trouble, to save them by giving them victory, by giving a victory to the army of Israel. And when, when we consider that this was a, a prayer that was prayed before the battle, I think we should also look ahead to Psalm 21 because there's a connection there. Because it seems to be connected as Psalm 20 is a preparatory thing for the battle, and then Psalm 21 is a praise to God for the victory that was given in the battle. Now the reason for why the people would have prayed for their king before the battle is because the anointed king of Israel, according to Lamentations chapter 4, he was the quote-unquote very life, it says, and breath of the nation. And so it, it, it reasons to, to conclude that, that, the, the, that when they went to battle, that the king would be the target of the enemy during the battle. So not only was the king at a great physical risk when he was on the battlefield, but the army itself right, would be at a greater risk Uh, of defeat if the king who was leading them was taken or was killed in the battle. Now before we start to go through this psalm, which clearly has a, a, a military aspect to it, I want to acknowledge that there are some... Who struggle with God's word when it accounts or records these times that the nation of Israel had gone to war when they went to war against other pagan nations that surrounded them, and yet they went on God's behalf? And we know that that there are a lot of people who are out there. Maybe you've heard this before from people you've talked to about your faith, that they say, "Listen, I, I have a hard time believing in a God or or following after a God who 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 is so." war-hungry, that, that just wants to kill people. And, and, and they, they hear about these accounts, and they take them out of context, and they don't have the full understanding. But when the Bible talks about these things, they misinterpret them, and they have a struggle with that. But I'm here to tell you that, that I've met people within the church who also struggle with it as well. That they struggle with the fact that God's Word accounts these times when Israel went to war. And in the same manner, there are some who struggle with the military aspects of David's psalms. And if you find yourself in this spot this morning, I want to first point out, listen, that every time every time God called His people to battle, it was in order, listen, it was in order to fight and to destroy evil. And that's very important because God calls us to battle today as well for truth, for what is right, to battle against sin and against evil. First starting with the sin and evil, that goes on in our own hearts by submitting ourselves to God, by, by resisting our flesh, and then outwardly into the world that we live in by being a light to those for what the truth is and standing against unrighteousness. But listen, when we read about these things in the Bible where God sent His people into battle against, against dis- the destruction of evil, God never rushed into these situations like some kind of power-hungry warmonger. On the contrary, God only sent his people into battle after giving these other nations many years of opportunity to turn away from their sinful ways. And and did so only as a righteous act of justice and only after these nations, these people groups, refused to repent and they continued in practices that hurt those who were unable to defend themselves. I think Jonah and the story of Jonah and the great fish is one of the telltale testaments of God's love and compassion for people who do evil things. God sent Jonah as a prophet to Nineveh, right? And when you do a historical study on the people of Nineveh, they were evil, evil people. And we're told that Jonah did not want to go because he, even as a prophet of God, saw what it is did and said, God, they need to be judged, and if I go to them, if you send them to me and preach that message of a, of a judgment to come, but hope in you if they repent. He said, they're going to repent. And Jonah was basically saying, I don't want them to get that. And so you know the story of Jonah in Nineveh. He goes and he gets on the ship, right? It's going the complete opposite way to Tarshish. But yet God still has his way. And what happens with the people of Nineveh? The Bible says that they repent, that God forgives them and God restores them. That's the heart of our God. And God only sent his people into battle in these times when people refused, when they were hurting others because of their sin, because of evil. And God's a just God, and and for that, and because God's a righteous and just God, God will bring forth righteousness and justice because he cares about those who are innocent and those who are getting hurt. Now, in regards to the Psalms of David that have this military aspect to them, this one being the first of that we read in the book of Psalms, and there's others that will come. But but when we read them, we should understand that David only, during his whole life, he only went to war when the enemy attacked Israel. He didn't invade other nations just to gain more territory, to take more people into slavery. So David was literally fighting the Lord's battles. And God had made a covenant with David, and God, in that covenant, assured David of, of this victory over his enemies when he went into battle, when David was battling on the Lord's behalf. Now, I want to point out right away as we continue to go through this that there's a distinction that needs to be made between the battles that we enter into on our own and then the battles that the Lord sets before us. Because there's a difference. David, as a king, could have taken his forces and the power that he had, and he could have gone off and done his own thing. But yet he didn't, and we can do the same thing. We can justify entering into situations and doing things, saying that it's of God when we have something that God's never called us to. But David, David was a representative. And in this regard, we, see that, that we should see that David, as, as the king and the commander of Israel, is really a picture of Jesus, Right? because Jesus is the true commander of the Lord's armies, who according to the book of Revelation will one day soon, hopefully very soon, that He will return. And it says that He will ride in in victory against the the wicked armies of this world. And in doing so, Jesus will fight, I think, like a doctor fights a battle against disease and death very concisely, very specifically, rooting out that which needs to be taken away as he wages war against sin and evil and against Satan and against the men of this earth at that time who have pledged their allegiance to Satan, who have devoted themselves to following the Antichrist. And so as we consider these things, listen, as it relates to our lives, right? Because that's what we want to see. We don't want to see the historical aspect, but we want to see, how does this relate to our life today, to the things that God's called us to? And so as we consider them as how it relates to our lives, we should see how this psalm describes for us three essentials for victory as God's people today as we answer the call to fight the forces of evil that are hurting those who cannot defend themselves. And in these first five verses, which I already read, I'm going to read them to you again, we see the first essential in the battle against sin and evil is that we would be a praying people prayer it's essential and in verse 1 the, the the prayer of the people is this notice the repetitiveness of this word may may the lord answer you in the day of trouble may the name of the god of jacob defend you may he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of zion may he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt by your sacrifice and of course selah May He, verse 4, grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation in the name of our God. We will set up our banners. And may the Lord fulfill all of your petitions. Now, when we read this psalm, we should consider the, the, the um, biblical context for what's leading up to what I think is going on here. Because in the book of Deuteronomy... There is the account. It's actually a second account of the Levitical law being read to the children of Israel as they were preparing to enter into the Promised Land. And at that time, um, they they were preparing to battle against the pagan nations, right, who were dwelling there. As a matter of fact pagan people who continued in evil practices that gave them way over to sinful things for more than 400 years that we know of, while God yet gave them a living testimony of who he is and what we is like, what he was like through the, the, the nation of Israel, through the Hebrew people who were in Egyptian slavery for those 400 years, and then brought out by the hand of God through Moses, and then made to wander around in the wilderness for an additional 40 years. And we know that these people were aware of God because of the Hebrew people and what God did for the Hebrew people and who God was to the Hebrew people because when they prepared to go in these pagan people when they were encountered they were shaking it says they were fearful and trembling because they had heard of the God of Israel God made himself known. God made himself known, but yet they continued in their ways. And so, so God was bringing forth a judgment, and the people were preparing. And in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 20, where the portion of the Levitical law was being read to them in preparation for entering into the promised land, there contains the principles for governing warfare. God even said to them, there's a way to do this that is right and a way to do this that is wrong. And it's being read to them in that chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 20. One of the commands that God gave them, that God gave to the nation of Israel, was that before the army of Israel would to go out into a battle, in any battle. And there's times where you see this happening where they did it right. And you see there's times when you see this happening when you, when you, when you read in the book of Joshua that they, they did it wrong. And, it, and it's funny because one of the battles is against a little city by the name of Ai. And they didn't go before the Lord. They thought they had it figured out. They didn't do what Deuteronomy chapter said, 20 said, and they lost pathetically to someone who they should have been able to easily overcome. But God had set it forth this way for a particular reason, and the nation of Israel, the army itself, the officers and the soldiers, had to first go before the high priest and dedicate themselves to the Lord before the battle. And it's likely that this psalm is speaking or referencing one such incident that the book of Deuteronomy tells him had to happen. And this command that was given by God to come to him before entering the battle is really a reminder, an ongoing reminder for them and for us today, that the battle is the Lord's. The battle that they are in, the battle that we find ourselves in each individually, it's the Lord's. It's the Lord's battle. And it's a reminder also, this dedicating of yourself to the Lord before the battle, it's a reminder of the Lord's promise for the nation of Israel to be with them. It's a reminder of the fact that the Lord said to them that He would fight on their behalf. And in light of this came the understanding that apart from the Lord, there's no hope of victory in the battle against sin and evil. In the battle against sin and evil, there is no hope of victory apart from the Lord. And this same truth stands firm today. So as people called out to God in prayer for their king here in this psalm, we see that they use this word may six different times just in these first five verses. And by this, I think we can sense the people's awareness of the life and death issues that were soon to be resolved. And, and this is something to take note of because, because Each one of us in one way or another have made our requests known to God in desperate times, have we not? In times when the outcome seemed uncertain to us and yet we did so in hope. We did so in putting our trust in God. And so in regards to these six requests these six requests of may it's clear that not only was the lives of the king and the army involved when we look at the request here we see that also which was in the balance was the very glory of god himself in other words god's reputation his mighty name whom the people were calling upon here in verse 5, and had declared their trust in a little bit later in verse 7, was also in the balance. And so I think it's safe to say that on the day that the people had prayed, as verse 1 says, it was a day of trouble. A time of trouble. But the Lord, you notice their response here in this request. The Lord, it says, which is the the proper name of God, Jehovah, the God of the covenant, who is faithful to His people and to His promises. Ultimately, they realize and understand by using this name that He is their refuge, that He is their strength. And as Psalm 46 says, a very present help in the day of trouble. Now in verse one, the people prayed that God would answer the king's prayers, right? And literally, or and they said to defend him. Literally, that means to to rise him up or to lift him up, the king up above his enemies, to this place where he couldn't be harmed or reached or touched, to be delivered. And with this request, I want you to notice that they used this title. It's a really cool thing: the God. It's the first time it's used in the book of Psalms. And this title, the God of Jacob, is used 13 additional times in the Psalms, and it's also used a few other places towards the end of the book of Isaiah. And when you take these references in Isaiah, this one here, and the rest of the references in the book of Psalms, what you can conclude is that this is somehow, that that, that this name, this title, the God of Jacob, it's a reminder, it's it's an acknowledgement that God works on behalf of those who are weak, on behalf of those who need God's defense. And this is further evidence for us Back in Genesis chapter 35 where we read of God speaking to Jacob and calling him to leave the land of Canaan and go back to Bethel to face his brother Esau whom he had fled many years prior. And this is a really cool thing when you you consider the whole account because we know that Jacob, who was a deceiver, right, whose later his name was changed to Israel, is that he stole his brother's birthright and his brother was... Not He had some blame in it as well, right? He traded it for a bowl of beans. But uh, we know Esau was a carnal man and, and Jacob was a deceiver that really God got a hold of and did a really amazing thing. But God got a hold of Jacob at Bethel, the place where he had fled to when he had left Esau who was chasing him. And there God came with Jacob and they were wrestling and, and, and Jacob actually thought that his brother had gotten him and it turns out that Jacob was wrestling with God. You can read the whole account. But in there, God met with him and reaffirmed this covenant. It said, Jacob, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to be your God. And he came to him in a time of need, in a time of weakness. And that's that reference to the God of Jacob. And in that account where we read in Genesis chapter 35, where God said, leave Canaan, go back to Bethel, the place where I, I, I made my covenant with you, and face your brother who was wanting to kill him, we see that Jacob obeyed God's voice when God said go. And he went, he went in obedience because he remembered how his God, the God of Jacob, had previously been with him in a time of distress and in a time of weakness. And in Genesis chapter 35, it's really cool, it says this in verse 5, it says that as they journeyed, Jacob and his family, as they journeyed, it says the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Now in addition to praying for God to answer King David and to defend him in this day of trouble, we read that the people also prayed for, for God to give help and strength as he remembered, as, as, as God remembered David's offerings and sacrifices, literally to remember David's acts of devotion and, and, and worship of God. And when we read this, I think we need to be very careful to keep in context what we're reading here, because if we just take this alone, it might seem to us that the people are praying something like this. Hey, God, look at how, how spiritual and holy David is and all the good things that he does for you come on God you should help him out as if there's this this bank that needs to be filled up before God would intervene on David's behalf and I point that out because the truth is sometimes we feel that way that God will only help us when we've done certain things right when we are in right relationship with him but the problem with that is that David was not always faithful. And the truth is, is we're not always faithful. And so we, we, we look at ourselves and we look at God and we go, I'm not worthy. And then the enemy will come along and go, yeah, you're not. You don't deserve that. Don't even ask. Go fight that on your own. But the truth is, is the Bible tells us that, that in regards to God's people, and in regards to, to God's children, that He's faithful even when we're faithless. And so what's going on here? We have to ask ourselves, this is not a, 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 a God, David did this, so will you do that? But when we, we, when we consider the, the, the context of this and, and look at the life of David, we do know that he was a devoted worshiper of God, even though he was also a sinful man. He brought the Ark of Covenant to Jerusalem, set it up there on Mount Zion, and he had made regular offerings and sacrifices to God. But in the context of this psalm, the offerings and sacrifices that, that the people would have been referring to were the ones that David would have made as he came to the Lord and dedicated himself to God before the battle, right? When David would come and make his requests known to God and seek the Lord's will concerning the strategy for the battle. Lord, I'm here like you've said. What do you want me to do? And we know that the the children of Israel is that every time they were called to come before the Lord, they didn't come empty-handed. They came with offerings and they came with sacrifices. And our offering and sacrifices is greater than the offering of, of, of goats and lambs. We have the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we come to the throne room of God and receive help in our time of need. And then we are in fact called to be living sacrifices as we live our lives out. Lord, here I am. Consider me. Consider your son. But, but David was coming for, for, for God's plans, and so the people prayed in conjunction with that. In verse 4, look, for God to then grant David the desires of his heart. Why? Because they knew that David's desire was, for, was to do the will of God and to defend the nation of Israel. How'd they know that? Because David had brought these offerings and these sacrifices to the Lord. Lord, my will, or not my will be done, but your will will be done. Your will be done. Guys, in light of this, it's important for us to remember that the victory in the battles we face can only be found when we submit our plans to the Lord and humbly accept His strategy for the battle. You know, every year we have a, a planning time that we invite the whole church to come and I share about the things that God's put on the leadership's heart and what that looks like for this year and where we are at and where we hope to be. And, 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 and it's not that we come and go, God, this is our hopes, our dreams. This is what we plan. Can you, can you please bless this? That's not good. It's coming seeking the Lord and being wanting to hear from Him about where He wants us to go, what He wants us to do, how He wants us to do it. And man, one of the most significant things I think Stephanie brought up that was last year with, with, well, just the whole COVID thing where, where I felt like God was calling us to do things that a lot of other people weren't doing. And, and it really challenged my faith and the faith of the leadership to go, we're going to do it like this because God has said. At, at, at times at risk. But, but with the youth center, it was like we've been praying for a long time, Lord, about hiring some additional staffs, about opening up throughout the week. And and then COVID came and we're like, oh, must not be time. And God's all, what do you mean it's not time? Did you check with me? You ask me to bless your plans? That's not my plan. Here's my plan. You hire three additional people and you and you open up almost every day of the week. I'm like, really? Everybody else is shutting down? And you want us to do this? And God's blessed it. And, and it's been a thing of God. It's not been a thing of of Livingstone Calvary Chapel. It's been God. And it's been been made evident by the fruit that's been born out of that because where there was this void in these kids' lives, now they could come there and God just filled it up with Him and people who love them who love Him. And it's been a really cool thing. So it's important for us to remember that we got to submit our plans to the Lord and humbly accept His strategy for the battle. In other words, when we come to God, we need to be seeking His will and His plan and then trust in what He's instructed us to do. How do we do that? By doing what He has said, even if it doesn't make sense to us and even when it's something that we may not want to do. And I know that's speaking to somebody here this morning in regards to what's going on in your life. In the battle that you're facing, God's saying, stop doing it that way, do it this way. And you're going, why? What? That doesn't make sense. Submit to his will. Leave your plans behind. And in this regard, guys, the Bible is full of examples of God giving his people this unconventional battle plan over and over and over again plans that did not make sense to them like one of the most notable ones is the battle of jericho right i mean god calls the hebrew people as they enter into the promised land after god saying this is how you do it now go in and do it and they go in under the leadership of joshua and here's jericho This mighty, impenetrable city. Walls so thick that four chariots wide could go abreast all the way around. That's how thick it was. And the battle plan that God gave them was to walk around the wall of this impenetrable city and the walls would just simply fall down. Could you imagine being Joshua? Joshua? under the leadership of Moses, preparing outside of land, knowing because Joshua has been in, right, with Caleb and he knows there's giants in there. He knows that there's people mightier than them. He's going, okay, sharpen your swords, you know, get in there. And and, and they cross over the the Jordan River at a time when the, 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 the waters are raging and God stops them up and they walk across on dry land again. And now God says, you see that city over there? they are like god yeah we've heard about jericho it's a mighty city it's impenetrable no one can defeat it god says you go you go take them out and 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 this is how i want you to do it you, i want you to walk around the walls of the city uh, uh, uh well, then what well you do that once a day for 6 days okay then we then we then we what we we sneak in we start tearing down the i mean there was no way in their human understanding that they could do what needed to be done in order to defeat the city. But God had a better plan. And God said, on the seventh day, you walk around it seven times and then you blow the horn and the people shout. And God said, I will make the walls fall down before you. And God did. That's unconventional warfare. But that's how God fights on behalf of His people. Here's the reason why. Because that thing with Jericho and and the Hebrew people was a call to faith. And this is what we need to understand. The battle that we're in is not about the battle. Does God care about the battle? Absolutely. It's his battle. So what's our part? Our part is to enter into it through faith. And faith is a relational aspect that God cares most about. Our relationship with him. Trusting in him. Relying upon him as we walk through this life. Allowing God to blow our minds and to show Himself glorious before us and the rest of the world. You guys, when we look at the New Testament, we see the same call to faith. And, and, and literally an unconventional battle plan when we read the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, which I think may not make sense to us in regards to winning this battle against sin and evil. This is why, because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45. I love it how he starts it this way, speaking to his disciples. He said, He says, You've heard that it was said. Okay? Jesus is saying, You've seen it done this way. You've heard it and been taught to do it this way, right? You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus says, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And see, We, in our sense of righteousness, when we enter the battle, think that it's somehow up to us or that God's given us the authority to bless who we want to bless and curse who we want to curse. And Jesus says, listen, you're the son. He's the father. You're the child. He's the dad. He blesses who he wants to bless. He curses who he wants to curse. He says, you just do this. This is the battle plan. And it's really a reminder of the fact of of what God did for us in winning us to Him. The Bible tells us that while we were still in the midst of our sin, Christ died for us. That it's His loving kindness that led us to repentance. And it's the love of God being poured out in undeserving people's lives which is grace and the forgiveness of God where the battle is won, where souls of people are saved and hearts and minds are changed for those who are against God and are now for Him as they see Him as good and loving, which He is. So when it comes to standing up, right, and staying the course, our, our, our battle cry for this year, stand up, stay the course. You're in the storm, don't give up. Keep going. So when it comes to these things, standing up and staying the course in the battle for what is good, for what is right, and for what is just, whether it's in the public spaces of our society or in our places of work or in our homes or, or even with our friends, God, God's Word makes it clear that His way to fight the battle is the way we must submit ourselves to. His way. And it's important for us to understand this because we can often find ourselves in the place where we're being attacked, right? It's like, God, I'm being attacked here. He's all, you're in a battle. (laughs) But when this happens, what's the temptation? I know what my temptation is. My temptation is to react to the evil in a like manner. Actually, I think that I want to do better than what they did. (laughs) It's called retaliation or revenge, right? Right? We have this reaction, but you know what? Twice in the New Testament, once in Peter chapter 3, verse 9, and then again in Romans chapter 17 or 12, excuse me, verses 17 through 21, it says this Repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Allow for that wrath to come into your life. Why? For, for it is written, God says he sees, he says, vengeance is mine. God says, I will repay. Says the Lord, therefore if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And ultimately it says in verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And you know as well as I do, that is so different than our nature, and so different than the way of the world, but yet it's the way of God, and it is the right way. Now verse 5 is clearly the central verse in the psalm, and I think it's it's really an important part of, 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 of the people's prayer, because it's this Confident affirmation. It's this yes and amen. It's this confident affirmation of the victory of the battle before the battle even starts. They're praying and they're already celebrating. We've won. They haven't even fought the battles, per se, yet, right? But it's also a praise of God for the salvation the people were trusting God to give them. And this is why they then declared That that in this verse 5, that in the name of our God we will set up our banner in the name of God, our God. And these things, guys, should remind us, please hear this, because we can get warped in our thinking and we go about things in the wrong way if we're kind of putting the cart before the horse or not looking at it with the right perspective. But remember this: that as God's people, we don't fight, we don't fight for victory. Rather, we fight from the place of victory. Yes and amen, we've already won. Why? Because the battle's the Lord's. And it's because of who our God is. The God Almighty. The Lord of Lords. The King of Kings. The Ruler of Heaven and Earth. We've already won because of who He is. And the Bible says none can stand before Him. But also we can, we can fight from the place of victory because we... Listen, through the sinless life, sacrificial death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Jesus Christ, we've already won the battle. Jesus said it's finished. It's done. Remember Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says this very simply, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? In that battle that you're fighting, that struggle maybe against your own sin nature, or maybe it's with someone out there in the world, maybe it's in the political scene, God forbid, you know, I'm not saying that you shouldn't fight there. We should too. But I'm just saying these battles that we're called to enter into, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so in verse 6, we read on and it says, Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed and He will answer Him from His holy heaven with saving strength of His right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we Guys, we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Some, you know, hear this today, because some of you are walking around, we, we do this, we can do this, and maybe this is you, I don't know, you're walking around in this place of defeat, you're bowed down. That's not us. We've risen up and we've, we've stand upright. Why? Because of God. We stand upon the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and it cannot be moved no matter what goes on in this world. And so the first essential needed in this battle against sin and evil is to be a praying people, right? Praying people. We see the importance of that by what we read, but also in these next verses, we see it's essential for this. You got to have a confident leader, I mean I think that's one of the reasons that for for why so many things are wrong in this world today and in the workplace and in marriages is because there's no confident leaders good godly leaders it's been rightly said more than once by by a wise by wise people that everything rises and falls with leadership and in these verses, the king is now speaking. And as he speaks, he's assuring right, his people that he is confident of the success that they will have because he says the Lord's chosen him. It's not because of me. It's because of who the Lord has chosen. God's still in control, his anointed one. And he's confident of the success because God has heard his prayer. See, David knows what he's been called to. His strength is in the Lord, but he knows what he's been called to and called to do. Do you know what you've been called to? Do you know what you've been called to do? Be confident, in Lord, in that. Let the world see your assurance. Let your children see your assurance in Him. And this is what David is doing. He's confident of his success because he says God has heard his prayers. Remember, the people prayed back in verse 1, may the Lord hear. And then here in verse 6, David is replying what he says, this, he says, he will hear. If you're praying to the Lord today, He has heard you. He has heard you. And He will answer you. Furthermore, when the people prayed for God to send help from the sanctuary and out of Zion, His earthly dwelling place, it seemed somewhat limited, not because of who God is, but because of the temporal place in which this refers to. But David confidently assured them even a step higher that not only from Zion would God send help, the help that they needed, but he said from the very throne of God, from holy heaven itself. And as David spoke confidently about these things, we see that he had an intimate trust in God. That's what I see. David spoke this because he knew God. He had a trust in who God was. He had a trust in the promises that God had made. And he had a trust in in God's ability to make good on his promises. These weren't just things that David had heard about. These were things that David had experienced for himself. And, and, And this was because David's faith in God was experiential. And his faith in God had been proven to be good over and over and over again. And so just as God's hand had reached down in the past and saved David in and, 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 and those other times, David knew that God's hand would deliver him from the enemy at this time. And in light of this, we see how, how, God's, how, how, how David's confidence, right guys, It wasn't in himself. He wasn't like, I'm the anointed one. No, it's a sense of humility. God has done this. It wasn't in himself, it was in God. And so even if the, if the enemy, he says, even if the enemy was to come with horses and chariots, which were the, the high-tech weaponry of, that, of, of war in that day, he said there's no need to fear. Why? Because Israel's faith was in the Lord, and David's confidence was in the Lord. And this is a reminder for us that, God's, that as God's people, because we don't, we don't boast in our, in, our, in our human resources, but we boast in God, who alone can save in every situation, and this is the kind of faith that, that will honor the awesome and mighty name of the Lord whom we follow, whom we love, whom we serve. And so verse 9, the people in end, it ends and it says, save Lord, may the King answer us when we call. The worship team wants to come up. So a praying people, be a praying people a confident leader. It, 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 you might go, well, I'm not a leader. Well, look a little closer. You are a leader. If you're a husband, you're a leader of your home. If you're a wife, you have a leadership role over your children, in your workplace, in, the, in, your, in, in, in your neighbors. Be confident in the Lord. These are essential in the battle against sin and evil. And in this last verse, what we see as the last essential, a third essential, is that, is that you must have a sovereign Lord. And you know what? We have a sovereign Lord. It's needed. Why? Because think about it for just a second. How can we, who are carnal and of this life, really win a battle against sin and evil? Because the Bible makes it clear, right? that, that this battle that we're in, whatever it is in, whatever battle you find yourself in, at the root of it, the Bible is clear that, it, that, that in this battle against sin and evil, that we don't battle against flesh and blood, it's literally out of our reach. Now, we get misdirected and think we're fighting against the person next to us or the person in front of us, you know, but it's it's not about the person. It's, it's, It's about the sin and evil that's behind it. We don't battle against flesh and blood. We battle against powers of darkness, the Bible says, rulers of this dark age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's a battle for the Lord. We're called to take up the armor of God and to pray, to be ready, to be prepared, to engage. And that's our part. But the battle is the Lord who is sovereign. Now Bible translators don't agree in this passage, and I mention this because some of you may have a different translation that you're reading from, but this word king in this verse here, some say or think that it refers to David or, or to the Lord of the king of Israel, one, one, one of uh, the other. Um, maybe God the king or David the king. You know, answer us. Um, but whether the king is spoken of in this verse refers to David or the Lord, these verses, I think it clearly affirms that the Lord is sovereign because he alone hears our prayers. And he alone can answer our prayers. He's sovereign. And unless the Lord, God, is king, not just king of the world that we live in, but think about this King of our lives. It's one thing to say he's my Savior, and it's another thing to say he's my Lord. And he needs to be both. He needs to be your Lord and your Savior, to trust in him, to put your faith in him every day. And unless the Lord God is King, there can be no victory, guys. No victory. Psalm 95, 3 says, For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. And Psalm 24, verse 10 declares, The Lord Almighty, He is the King of glory. He is the one who gives the victory. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for these. Encouraging reminders and these hopeful things, God, that increases our trust in you. Lord, we are all fighting against um, sin and evil in one way, in our lives or in this world that we live in. Lord, as we stand and become lo- the, these lights for you that you've called us to be, as we allow for your light to shine through us. Lord, your Bible tells us your word tells us that there are going to be those who hate that. Lord, but we pray, God, that you would use us in such a way that they would turn away from the darkness and come to the light. Lord, that people's lives would be changed, that people would be saved. And Lord, wherever we're at in the sphere of influence that you put us in, God, that you would be glorified as we put our trust in you. And God, that we would ultimately see your hand bringing forth victories in the world that we live in today, in our lives today. Lord, as you continue to conquer through the work of your son, Jesus Christ, the sin that goes on in this world, the evil that goes on in this world. Lord, you've already won, but you keep driving it back, driving it back, driving it back, God. And you give us the awesome opportunity to take the ground that you win. Father, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.